Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. We welcome our outstanding witness today, and today we want to examine the recently released 2016 State Department Trafficking in Persons Report. The integrity of last year's report was called into question because of controversy over how the tier rankings were made regarding certain countries. This report and tier rankings are an improvement, and we thank you for your leadership in that regard and the way uh, interdepartmentally people worked with each other. The decisions behind certain upgrades, such as Cyprus and the Philippines, and downgrades, such as Uzbekistan, Stan, Burma, and Luxembourg, are more balanced and strategic. Uh, it would appear that the oversight and other actions by the committee last year and this year, including confirming Ambassador Coppage, uh, have had a positive effect. Deputy Secretary Blinken made commitments to this committee that, that this year's report will receive high-level engagement. That seems to have happened, but we'd like to hear from Ambassador Coppage more on that score, which we will today. In the past, back-and-forth deliberations between the TIP office and the regional bureaus have been the rule. While less pronounced this year, that pattern still shows uh, in how certain countries, such as India, Mexico, and Malaysia, are ranked. Each year, the TIP report makes recommendations for progress and turns these into tailored actions for our embassies. Rigorously applied TIP action plan should inform the tough calls on tier rankings. We thank Ambassador Coppage for testifying today so she can explain the 2016 tier rankings to the committee. We encourage you to give a fair assessment of countries' efforts to address trafficking this year. And we also hope that you're candid with us in describing the challenges that still exist in certain countries. This year's report focuses especially on preventing modern slavery. This is important and needs to be part of substantially increasing international efforts to end modern slavery, which this committee unanimously uh, supports and hopefully will come to fruition very quickly. Uh, with that, I'd like to recognize our distinguished ranking member, Senator Cardin, and say in passing off to him that uh, I think we both were touched uh, by being at the event at the State Department where heroes from around the world that have risked their lives and gone through incredible situations to ensure that other people are not trafficked or in slavery. I want to thank you uh, for inviting me. I know Senator Cardin feels the same way. And with that, I'll turn, uh, turn over to our distinguished ranking member. Well, Mr. Chairman, first of all, thank you for this hearing. Ambassador Kovic, it's good to have you with us, and thank you for your, your extraordinary leadership uh, on this issue. Uh, I share the uh, chairman's pride in the work that has been done. Uh, this year's report certainly um, demonstrates the commitment that was made uh, to uh, end modern-day slavery, and we thank you for that. Mr. Chairman, I thank you for your leadership on this issue through your chairmanship. Uh, in the enactment of legislation and the hearings that we've held, the commitment by the United States Senate and the United States to end modern-day slavery. So uh, I look forward to today's hearing. Now, some people ask why fighting human trafficking is so important. I believe that trafficking in persons is one of the great moral challenges of our time. It distorts labor markets, undermines stability and the rule of law. Trafficking is fueled by greed violence and corruption. According to the International Labor Organization, there are at least 21 million victims of modern slavery in the world. Forced labor alone generates more than $150 billion in profits annually, making it one of the largest income sources for international cr criminals, second only to drug trafficking. 
We know that traffickers take advantage of conflict and the collapse of state institutions to prey on vulnerable civilians. We are, are witnessing terrorist groups like ISIL and Boko Haram proudly build their so-called states on trade in and enslavement of women and children. These are just some of the reasons why trafficking is such an enormously important issue and why members of this committee take the State Department's annual TIP report seriously. Last year, as the chairman pointed out, we expressed significant concern about the neutrality of the 2015 TIP report, primary among them the decision to upgrade Cuba and Malaysia from Tier 3 designations to Tier 2 watch lists. We note that Malaysia only convicted three traffickers when estimates of trafficking victims numbered in the hundreds of thousands. In addition, we noted that victim services were almost non-existent. After reviewing this year's TIP report, I believe it's a mixed bag, but let me start off by saying that I think it reflects the serious professional work of you, Madam Ambassador, and we appreciate that very much. And I give it high marks. But like the parent who receives a report card from their child with nine right answers and one wrong, the parent's gonna harp on the ninth, the tenth question and why you got it wrong. And we saw some aggressive valuations in the 2016 report, but we are still remnants of the same problem we had last year. Last year, especially with Malaysia and Cuba, we had pending biological concerns that impacted the report. Again, this year, despite little progress from Malaysia and Cuba, the State Department decided to keep both on Tier 2 watch lists after having been upgraded from Tier 3 in 2015. Now, by contrast, in Uzbekistan, which was upgraded last year to Tier 2 watch lists, but due to continued government-compelled forced labor in the cotton harvest, Uzbekistan was appropriately downgraded in this report to Tier 3. After seeing the 2016 report, I remain concerned that Malaysia has not seriously committed to ending human trafficking. We all know the requirements of the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. We know that countries must meet minimum standards for the elimination of human trafficking or be making significant efforts to bring themselves into compliance. Malaysia is simply not doing enough, and the facts bear this out. Since last year's report, the number of investigations declined, and the number of prosecutions significantly declined by 30%. Within the reporting period, Malaysian authorities uncovered 28 suspected human trafficking camps and 139 graves along the border with Thailand. Operation of this size just cannot be done without official complicity. No official has been prosecuted in connection to these events. I want to point out that the first indicator of serious and sustained efforts to eliminate trafficking is whether the government of the country vigorously investigates and prosecutes acts of severe forms of trafficking in persons and convicts and sentences persons responsible for such acts. This means accountability. Human trafficking will not end until there's an honest accountability for those who segregate, exploit, and enslave vulnerable individuals. So it's hard for me to understand how the decision to keep Malaysia on the tier two watch list was reached, and I look forward to hearing from you, Madam Ambassador, about the decision-making process. Let me just conclude on that point. We questioned last year's judgment, but I must tell you, I anticipated as a result of what was done that there was gonna be cooperation with Malaysia to see real progress before the 2016 report. But to the contrary, it looks like we had less progress made than we had anticipated, and yet still there's no repercussion in this report as far as its rating is concerned. That raises the question as to whether external political factors were engaged 
in making that judgment rather than the objective determinations under the TIP report. So I look forward to hearing from the ambassador and I look forward to reviewing uh, this year's report. Uh, if I could. Uh, yes, sir. On that note, um, we, we talked about this last night in our office. I, I, I think we get the sense that a politically motivated decision was made last year, and therefore it's very difficult to back off of that this year because then it looks like a politically motivated decision was made last year, and, and I do hope you're able to convince us otherwise, but I think from most of the people here, you're going to hear similar concerns. So um, let me just uh, rightfully introduce you. Um, our witness today is the Honorable Susan Coppage, Ambassador at Large for the Office to Monitor and Combat Trafficking in Persons. Previously, she served as U.S. Assistant uh, United States Attorney for the Northern District of Georgia. Sure, that's why Senator Isaacson here is, is here so early. A position that she held from 2001 until her confirmation in 2015. We very much appreciate you being here. We're all truly thrilled that you're in the role that you're in, and we appreciate your leadership. And I don't know if Senator Isaacson uh, would like to say anything uh, just because of the relationship. Justin, we're very proud of Susan, as you tell. We still have brains and beauty in Georgia and great amounts and Susan's one of them so we're glad to have her here today and look thank forward you. to hearing testimony. Thank you. If you just summarize your comments uh, as you know your written testimony will be entered into the record without objection. Thank you again for being here. Well thank you and good morning Mr. Chairman, Senator Cardin, Senator Isaacson, thank you for being here and members of the committee. I'm really happy to be here today to continue our discussion on human trafficking and the 2016 Trafficking in Persons Report. Thank you for the opportunity to testify on this critical foreign policy and human rights issue. This committee has been a consistent champion of global efforts to combat human trafficking. Your dedication to ending modern slavery has helped strengthen the worldwide response to this insidious crime. It has also established the United States as a leader in this important fight. We very much appreciate Congress's bipartisan support on this issue and providing the resources so the State Department has both foreign assistance funds and the staff it needs to advance our shared goals of continuing to combat this crime. Two weeks ago on June 30th, Secretary Kerry released the 2016 Trafficking in Persons Report. We were honored to have the chairman and the ranking member join the secretary for the release and to celebrate the work of the TIP report heroes. The TIP report demonstrates the U.S. government's global leadership on combating trafficking and is our principal diagnostic tool to assess government efforts across what we call the three Ps, prosecuting traffickers, protecting and empowering victims, and preventing future trafficking crimes. The TIP report reflects a whole of department effort. It is the product of a year of research and reporting by my office, the Office to Monitor and Combat Trafficking in Persons, regional bureaus and U.S. embassies around the world, all informed by their engagement with foreign government officials, non-governmental organizations, faith groups, and international organizations. It provides country-specific narratives for 188 countries and territories and places them on one of four tiers 
representing the extent to which they meet the minimum standards for the elimination of trafficking. This is all outlined in the Trafficking Victim Protection Act, or TVPA. The report offers recommendation for improvements in every country. The TIP report is really more than just analysis of what countries are doing to combat trafficking. It is above all else an instrument of diplomacy, a means to affect change and motivate tangible progress in combating the many forms of trafficking in the world. And each year the report and the department's year-round diplomatic efforts on trafficking spur further progress. There are some places where we saw progress this year and other countries where we saw backsliding. I would like to highlight the efforts of Botswana, a country I visited this year, where an ambitious government is undertaking its first human trafficking prosecutions. The Botswanan law enforcement officials I met conveyed their earnest desire to raise awareness and train police on anti-trafficking efforts so they can better hold traffickers accountable. Another example of progress is the Philippines, where a strong, coordinated government effort to combat trafficking across the three Ps earned the government its first ever Tier 1 ranking. The Philippines convicted 42 traffickers, including complicit government officials, fulfilling the top recommendation from the 2015 Trafficking in Persons Report. The Philippines is also an example of successful targeting of U.S. anti-trafficking foreign assistance. The department has funded programs in the Philippines for 10 years, including grants to experienced and committed anti-trafficking NGOs who helped the government improve its efforts, which led to the creation of dedicated anti-trafficking units and an increase in the number of prosecutions and convictions. Unfortunately, there are several countries that did not make progress this year. For example, Sudan was ranked Tier 3 this year, largely because the government continued to deny the existence of sex trafficking of adults and children and did not report efforts to address forced labor. Another example is Serbia, which went back to the Tier 2 watch list as there were fewer victims identified and still fewer human trafficking prosecutions. The Serbian government did not afford victims sufficient protection or provide them specialized services. We will continue our year-round engagement with all governments to make clear that progress in combating human trafficking is a key priority of the U.S. government as well as a commitment of all governments that are party to the Palermo Protocol. Globally, we saw some promising trends representing growing, growing political will. Since last year, 30 amendments were made to anti-trafficking laws around the world to strengthen those laws, and three states became parties to the landmark Palermo Protocol. That is the Republic of Korea, Sri Lanka, and Singapore, bringing the total to 169 nations. While many governments reported increasing convictions, the reporting figures still pale in comparison to the global scale of human trafficking. Further, in some countries, courts are not imposing sentences that are sufficient to deter future criminal activity or reflective of the heinous nature of this crime. In addition to narratives for each country, the introduction to this year's report, as the chairman noted, focuses on effective strategies to prevent human trafficking. We witnessed a broad range of prevention efforts during the reporting period, from strategic intervention programs to public-private partnerships that leverage expertise and facilitate creative solutions. 
Some of these examples have been submitted in my written testimony, so I won't go through them now. But we are extremely encouraged by such prevention efforts. Much work still remains. As the 2016 report indicates, two areas of particular concern include the need for stronger efforts to root out corrupt and complicit officials who are themselves engaged in or benefiting from trafficking, and also the need for support services and protections for victims so they are not penalized for crimes they committed as a direct result of being trafficked. It is impossible to truly quantify the vast scope of modern slavery today. It is impossible to describe in words and tier rankings the full extent of the horror that human trafficking inflicts on people, families, and societies across the world. Despite this, I would like to close with a positive and personal reflection on the TIP report. I have seen firsthand that it continues to serve as the gold standard for analyzing government efforts to combat human trafficking. It is also a catalyst for a more humane world. I'm very proud of the work that went into the 2016 report, and I look forward to using it to advance our ongoing diplomatic efforts to combat trafficking in the months ahead. I am happy to answer any questions from the committee. Well, thank you, and uh, we agree it's the gold standard, and, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a gold frequent flyer with one of the airlines. I notice there are some levels above that, and we're hoping that uh, <laughs> to make it even better over time, but we do thank you for your leadership, and we know it does affect uh, how our ambassadors and other diplomats deal with other countries and how they push to improve their situations. And again, we cannot thank you enough for your leadership. Uh, we had a pretty tough meeting with Secretary Blinken last year. We did it privately because we wanted to ensure that it was you know, not a grandstanding occasion, but one to talk seriously about the TIP report and just the process that we were concerned about. He committed to very high level engagement and support for these deliberations. And did you feel uh, that you had that support and engagement as you went through the process this year? I did have that support. From the moment I entered the building, I started building relationships with those in the regional bureaus and also meeting with our ambassadors before they went out to their foreign postings and meeting with government officials from foreign countries here um, in Washington. So I did have that access and support. The work At the working level, we started exchanging um, factual narratives earlier on this year and worked on those. We then sat down with the regional bureaus, and I also had access to senior officials at the State Department. Let me ask you a question. We welcomed uh, the new leadership of India, and we have great um, hopes for the way our relationship is going to evolve and their country is going to evolve. They have an estimated 12 million slaves in their country, more than by far any country in the world. And, you know, the, the report highlights some progress, but official complicity in trafficking is widespread. Victim protection is inadequate and inconsistent. Uh, and the Indian government has not repealed its policy restricting travel of Indians identified as trafficking victims by the United States. I mean, that's appalling. Um, how in the world are they a tier two country? How can that be? Senator, India certainly has a significant human trafficking problem, as you identified, and it extends across forced labor, bonded labor, sex trafficking of adults and children, and the numbers are staggering. 
and we continue to press the Indian government through the report and through our diplomatic efforts to make changes in their system to further address um, laws and also victim services and protection services. As you know, I traveled to India in April and I was able to meet with senior government officials there. I was also able to meet with two victims of bonded labor. Now, had, I, I, I'm okay with the anecdotal stuff and I appreciate you sharing the stories, but I don't understand how a country, these are your words I'm using in the report, how they can possibly be a tier two company if these conditions are the conditions that exist in the country. So again, this is one that feels very much uh, somewhat like our civil nuke deal back in seven or eight years ago where we broke rules to enter into an agreement that probably at the time was not appropriate, to be honest. This feels very much like that in this report, and I just want you to tell me why a country with the kind of record they have is a tier two country. Well, Tier 2 says that they have not satisfied the minimum standards of the TVPA, that is a Tier 1, but that they have made significant efforts towards meeting those minimum well, standards. Well, tell me what those are. Sure. Not, not the anecdotal stories, but what they've actually done. <laughs> well, the anecdotal, anecdotal story was to illustrate that one of the things the government of India has done is provide um, repatriation papers, essentially, to those who are uh, freed from bonded labor to certify that they are no longer indebted or in service to the person they were indebted to through the bonded labor. So they present that documentation. They provide services and benefits to victims of bonded labor, and then they also help them with payments to get them back on their feet and back integrated into society. And we talk about those efforts with respect to bonded labor in the report and as being significant. They have also changed a policy that we pressed them to change for years, and that was when they uh, raided brothels, they would arrest everyone in the brothel, including the victims. And now, what government officials that we met with in India have told us they now screen for trafficking indicators. They don't arrest the young women who may in fact be victims of trafficking. So they have made that significant effort to change their policy and better provide victim protection efforts once victims are identified. It is very challenging to screen for victims of trafficking because the trafficker has made them afraid to come forward. And so that change in government policy has helped. This does not mean there aren't still areas for improvement in India. There certainly are. We have pressed for them to uh, reactivate and refund their anti-human trafficking units. Those work very well in some parts of the country, but they don't work so well in others. And so we've asked them to rededicate their efforts in the areas where that is not working as well. So there are things we are still pressing on. One of the recommendations is they establish special courts for human trafficking cases because the court system there is somewhat bogged down and slow moving as one would expect in a country of that size. So that's another recommendation for an area where improvement is needed. But we also take stock of improvements that have occurred. Um, those were just a few that I outlined. So I'm gonna stop, my time is up, and I'll, I'll intersperse some questions possibly. I, and I know that uh, Senator Cardin, again on Malaysia, it looks to me like you guys uh, carried out a characteristic we're maybe witnessing some, and that is when someone says something, uh, uh, they wanna back down from it, uh, looking like it, it appears to me that you guys have boxed yourselves in there, but I know that Senator Cardin will speak of Malaysia because he did so strongly yesterday, so I'll leave that to him. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Again, thank you, Madam Ambassador. Uh, 
first, let me just underscore the importance of your visits. Uh, Boswana is a good example. I followed you in Bos Boswana a couple months later with Senator Flake, and we had a chance to uh, uh, firsthand see the progress they were making on dealing with trafficking. I then went to Namibia, which was interesting because uh, they got upgraded in this report, and we raised the issue of trafficking pretty aggressively, and the president, uh, and I think, really didn't know the issue well when we met with him. Uh, he was um, uh, engaged after our meeting, uh, contacted me uh, on two occasions to say that he now understood the problem, and as a result, we did see major progress made in that country. So I just point out the, the contacts we make can make a ma major difference, and the work that you're doing is, is saving lives. So uh, it's very, very important. I, I, I am going to talk about Malaysia because I really don't understand this. I, I understand the politics, Mr. Chairman, but I don't understand the rating. Maybe you can help me with this. Uh, last year at the hearing, we brought up a fact that there were uh, graves, uh, 139 graves uh, discovered of suspected victims of trafficking and uh, 28 uh, suspected uh, camps for, that were used for human trafficking. Now, admittedly, this was outside the, the reporting window of last year's report. So we understood it was, could not be used as a factor in Malaysia's upgrade in 2015. But it certainly was a factor that we thought would be taken into consideration in the 2016 report, this report. So as a result of all of the visibility we put on Malaysia and the testimonies from the administration that they're working with Malaysia to make significant progress on human trafficking, and then to see in the 2016 window a significant decline in the number of investigations and prosecution, in addition to discovery of the graves, it's hard to understand that we've made progress in 2016. So where, where do you see the progress being made in Malaysia, and what do you anticipate uh, during this calendar, this, during, during this reporting year? Well, Senator Cardin, thank you uh, for continuing to raise this issue in your travels as well. I know it made a difference in Namibia that they heard from other people outside of the executive branch, also our legislative branch, that trafficking is a serious problem there. And I appreciate all the efforts from members of this committee to raise this when they travel abroad. I know other senators do as well. So I certainly appreciate that. Um, with respect to Malaysia, I can tell you that we discussed in every meeting we had with respect to Malaysia this year, the graves and the situation along the border. And it is a serious problem in Malaysia that they have indicated that there may be complicit officials involved, and one of our top recommendations has been to investigate, hold accountable, and severely punish any uh, complicit officials with respect to those graves. It is one of our top recommendations in the report this year. And what the Tier 2 watch list ranking says is that there were not overall increasing anti-trafficking efforts. So Malaysia did not make progress this year. Malaysia stayed on the Tier 2 watch list because it has a serious human trafficking problem and it did not make overall increasing efforts. It did, in the evaluation of the State Department, make significant efforts in the area of victim protection. And victim protection is so important because it gets wrapped into all the other issues. If your victims, <clears throat> excuse me, don't feel comfortable coming forward, then you're not going to have prosecutions and convictions. If your 
victims don't have faith in police officials or government officials, if they aren't allowed to work and aren't supported along the road to rehabilitation, then they will not come forward and participate in the system. And we will certainly raise that with Malaysia is one of the reasons why their prosecutions and investigations are declining. They need to take care of victims in order to improve those numbers. I will say there was a small increase in the number of convictions in Malaysia, certainly not sufficient given the scope of the problem. And that is why, again, one of the top recommendations is to really focus on that. And Malaysia put in place this year the tools to do that. They added to their anti-trafficking law enforcement unit. They added labor inspectors, and those numbers are reported in the report because those are the efforts, the first steps, to increasing the prosecutions and convictions. Are you seeing any progress in the investigation in regards to the mass graves and the complicity of government officials? Is there an active investigation going on, or we have confidence that it will go to where it needs to in regards to public corruption? We found out after the close of the reporting period, so it did not count to this year's ranking, but we found out that there were actually investigations and that one individual has been convicted. I believe he was a Burmese individual. So not yet complicit officials, to your point, and we are continuing to exhort the Malaysian government to follow that trail of evidence and see if there were government officials involved in that. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I would just make a request that because of the sensitivity of Malaysia and the fact that there is pending business in the Congress involving Malaysia, uh, that this committee receive regular updates as to what's happening in Malaysia on these investigations. Uh, this is pretty, I think, tragic and significant. A and you said that they didn't make progress. That's why they remained a Tier 2 watch. Uzbekistan was downgraded after being upgraded, so they could have been downgraded to a Tier 3. And it seems to me, with what has happened during this reporting period, it's hard to justify uh, the, the, the fact that we did not downgrade them to Tier 3. Uh, and um, w there's going to be uh, requested action in this Congress in a positive way in regards to Malaysia. I think it's important that we know what the status of their efforts to combat trafficking currently is. Uh, during this year and not wait till next year's report. So I would just make that request. Absolutely, and I'm sure Susan will be glad to do that, and I'd like to have updated reports on India also. Su uh, Senator Isaacson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Susan, congratulations on a great job and a great first year. Thank you. In your, in your opening remarks, you focused on the Philippines and the Sudan as a good example and a bad example. Well, the good example in terms of the Philippines, they had actually prosecuted traffickers, 42 of them, if I'm not mistaken, and provided assistance to 1,500 victims of trafficking, which moved them from Tier 2 to Tier 1. Is that not correct? Yes, that's right. They moved up from Tier 2, and they were on Tier 2 watch list previous to that. So it's hope for every country that there's room for improvement and progress. Then talking about where there's not much hope, I read the Susan, what you said about the Sudan. There, the Sudan actually prosecuted the victims of sex trafficking for the sex they, they committed on behalf of the trafficker, which makes it almost impossible for them to go anywhere but down in the ratings, not up. Is that not correct? That's correct. And it's a problem worldwide that victims are prosecuted for crimes they committed as a result of trafficking. This can be uh, prostitution offenses. It can also be immigration offenses. Um, sometimes they're forced to uh, manufacture and sell drugs. So there are all sorts of criminal offenses that law enforcement needs to be trained to look behind the offense and see whether the per person was, in fact, a victim of trafficking. 
Well, the chairman and I went to the Sudan some eight years ago, I guess now, when we went to Darfur. But we were in Khartoum for a day with the government there. And under Sharia law, they punished the victim of rape for violating the law, not the one that committed the rape. So it seems like to me in, my, in my countries where Sharia law is the dominant governance, if you will, there's no way for them to move off tier three under any circumstances. Is that correct? Well, we continue to impress upon them the need to modify their laws to comply with the international standards and the Palermo Protocol. That's always a recommendation for countries to cease uh, victimization and to modify their laws if necessary. Well, in the case of the Sudan, it's now a tier three on the list, if I'm not mistaken. It is. What are the consequences to them of being tier three? Well, the law, the Trafficking Victim Protection Act, provides for um, ceasing government funds to countries that are on tier three, except for humanitarian um, aid. And those, those sanctions were being evaluated now by my office, and they will be um, decided upon by the Secretary and the President as to whether those sanctions should be in place. Are there good examples where those sanctions have actually been put in place where the country has turned around its treatment of victims? I'll have to get back to you on a specific response to that. I think it is an important tool of the law to have those sanctions out there, and certainly governments are aware of that. We have heard from government officials, our officials in countries, that governments are very concerned about losing aid from the United States. Well, I, I know the chairman made reference to anecdotal stories, and I agree with his reference in the context it was made. However, in this case, where there are stories where there has been real progress made because we exercised our right to sanction people under their tier one, tier three ranking, and it made a difference. I'd like to know what some of those stories are because otherwise. We may, we may need to strengthen the consequences of somebody being Tier 3 in terms of their relationship with the United States or not. We will certainly get those success stories back to the committee. I'd appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank, Thank you. And uh, Senator Menendez, who I know has been highly focused on this issue for years. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ambassador, thank you for your service as well as everybody at the TIP office. I appreciate what they do. However, I have to say that I am disappointed but not surprised uh, that the State Department, in my view, has failed this year to use the Trafficking in Persons report to restore full credibility to what should be an unequivocally strong, clear statement of our values and to hold every nation accountable for its actions. Uh, the rankings give, uh, given to Malaysia and Cuba and others, from my view, don't match the facts on the ground. They don't even match the report's own accounts of what is actually happening in those countries. And to me, it's as if the State Department is suffering from severe myopia, unable to clearly focus because of the politicalization of last year's report and the facts before them in this year's report. You know, I recognize that Thailand has taken some preliminary steps to address human trafficking, but only preliminary, almost cursory, and that any real progress has been tenuous as best, certainly not enough to justify an upgrade and I know many anti-trafficking NGOs agree, which leads me to suspect that last year's unjustified upgrade of Malaysia has now become the baseline of what a country must achieve in order to earn an upgrade from tier three, and that simply is unacceptable. So from my view, the bar is far too low, and the new normal removes the main incentive for countries to take their ranking seriously to do more than the minimum to address the many issues trafficking victims face. There's no incentive for any nation to be better and to do more to address those issues. 
So at the end of the day, I think that the only way to restore, uh, restore the type of integrity that we want to see in the TRIP report is to consider reforms legislatively, and I hope to talk to the chairman and the ranking member and others uh, as it relates to that. But let me just go through Malaysia with you a moment. I know that Senator Cardin was doing it, and I was following it. Uh, the department's justification for keeping Malaysia on tier two watch lists, uh, point by point, I, I don't quite understand it. The first item mentioned in the TIP report is the Malaysian parliament passed the amendments that were introduced last year. But as you know, the department already gave them credit for this last year. So I don't believe that it should have been counted a second time in determining Malaysia's 2016 ranking. The second item mentioned in the report is that the government engaged in consultation with NGOs on the implementing regulation for these amendments, which were completed in March but have yet to be formally adopted. However, I've heard concerns from the NGO community about the degree of consultation that's actually taking place between them and the Malaysian government. So did the department verify the extent of consultation with NGOs before counting this as a, quote, significant effort, or was that simply the Malaysian government's assessment of what took place? Senator Menendez, we always consult with the governments and non-governmental organizations, civil society, and individuals in the country. As you know, we have our officials at the embassy in Malaysia. My, my question is, since my time is limited, let me try to hone in my question, because I, I don't need a treatise, I need a, an answer, which is, did the department verify the extents of consultations with NGOs? Yes. yes or no? It did? Yes. Okay. And NGOs would agree with the version of events laid out in the report? They would agree that there were three consultation sessions and they, they were very involved in getting regulations that would actually assist victims. Let me ask you this. The next action mentioned was the pilot program for victims. According to the report, it seems that the program languished for yet another year with only two victims actually participating. And it seems to me that's not really addressing the real needs of trafficking victims. If after only two years of planning and implementation, if after over two years of planning implementation, this program only helps two victims in a country where the number of victims may be hundreds of thousands, should we really be citing this as an example of a significant effort by the Malaysian government? Senator, it is a significant effort within the framework of Malaysia trying to do something to assist victims. I agree with you that it is not sufficient in terms of the numbers that have been served and that wow. there is a vast problem. Two, two victims over the course of two years, and that's a significant effort. Let me ask you this. Uh, mass graves accountability. Is it correct that the, you know, it seems to me that the report goes on to note that while convictions increased from three last year to a still pitiful seven this year, it states that investigations and prosecutions declined. That hardly sounds like the enforcement efforts we would expect to see from a country that is taking its human trafficking problem seriously. Now, I've heard that four individuals were charged with crimes in connection to the mass graves, but not a single one was Malaysian. Is it correct that the Malaysian government has charged only four individuals and that none were Malaysian nationals? We have not been made aware of all the individuals that are being investigated. I think the number you cite of four individuals associated with the mass graves is accurate. Is it true that the charges that were charged for those four, who none of them which are Malaysian, was with migrant smuggling as opposed to the harsher charge of homicide? I'm not um, familiar with what charges were brought against those individuals or what they pled to. Isn't it troubling that more than a year after the discovery, no government official has been prosecuted or held accountable? It is troubling, and that's why that continues to be one of our top recommendations to the Malaysian government 
to investigate allegedly complicit and corrupt officials. Because if victims don't trust the officials, they're not going to report this crime, they're not going to get the benefits they're entitled to, and the convictions will continue to lag. Mr. Chairman, I have other questions, but I'll wait for whatever your second round is. Okay, so. that's good. I, I think all of the criticisms that have been levied I, are appropriate, and I agree with those, but, uh, and I want to thank uh, the tremendous concern that exists here on the committee. I want to thank those who share it. Um, but in order to try to be fair and balanced, if you will, I, I would like for you to be able to talk about some of the downgrades that did exist. Uh, Burma, Uzbekistan, Haiti, and Luxembourg. If you would talk about some of the elements that uh, I know we're obviously as we should be, focusing a lot on what we view to be some political decisions that took place. Uh, I'd like for you, on the other hand, to be able to explain some of the downgrades that took place and, and why they did. So with respect to Burma and Haiti, they had been on the Tier 2 watch list for four years. And at that point, their efforts either had to be significant on their own to go up to Tier 2, or they were to be downgraded to Tier 3 pursuant to the law. And with respect to Burma and Haiti, their efforts were not sufficient on their own to be raised to Tier 2. In particular, in Burma, while they have tried um, to address the child soldiering issue and approximately 140 children were released from the military, there is still a problem with child soldiering in Burma. There's also a problem with forced labor in the Rakhine State and with the government not taking sufficiently uh, deterrent efforts with respect to um, convictions and sentences. One of the top recommendations for Burma is to hold military and civilian officials accountable for actions taken either through enforcing individuals to work or enforcing children into the military. They have been reprimanded by the military, but those efforts are um, not sufficient under the minimum standards for the Trafficking Victim Protection Act. So with those factors, uh, Burma was downgraded to Tier 3. We are continuing to work with Burma, and I want to acknowledge that they have made some progress with respect to these issues, but it wasn't sufficient to raise to Tier 2. With respect to Haiti, again, they had been on Tier 2 watch list for four years, and they were downgraded to Tier 3 because their efforts were not deemed sufficient to go up to Tier 2. There has been political transition in Haiti, so it's been hard for the government to focus on many matters, including trafficking. I will say that after the close of the reporting period, we were made aware that Haiti did have two convictions of traffickers. So that is important for next year and to show that they are continuing to focus their efforts on trafficking, even though they are somewhat hampered by the current political situation. With respect to Luxembourg, it highlights the point that countries that make it to Tier 1 don't simply get to rest on their laurels. They have to continue their efforts to fight trafficking. And the problems um, that are highlighted with respect to Luxembourg include recommendations to increase the severity of sentences for traffickers. If traffickers are allowed to escape the consequences of their crime with a slap on the wrist or a fine, that will not deter that criminal activity from occurring again because they will continue to see that as a cost of doing business, pay the fine, and continue to exploit individuals for their own economic advantage. So with respect to Luxembourg, our top recommendation is to increase prosecutions and convictions and the sufficiency of sentences to deter criminal actors in the future. 
Well, thank you. I, I, uh, I'm going to digress for a moment on Haiti and say that, uh, first of all, I appreciate you taking the actions you did. I don't think, again, two convictions uh, is much of a change, but at least some progress. I would not be amongst uh, my good friends here if it hadn't been for an impactful trip I made to Haiti uh, in my late 20s. There's no question I would not be here today. But I have to tell you, um, their lack of commitment to following through on the, the election in the manner that they said they would, and now to have political forces trying to, to add candidates, if you will, after the fact. I want to thank the State Department for moving itself away from Haiti at this moment. And uh, I think Senator Cardin and I may have a letter coming to support those efforts, but Haiti uh, is failing us and so many Americans and Tennesseans uh, that have been so involved there in many, many ways. Uh, and it's disappointing. Uh, we have given tremendous aid to the country. We've been involved at every step of the way. And yet they continue to fail us and most importantly, uh, fail the people there that are so wonderful uh, that live in such misery because of the lack of good governance. With that, Senator Cardin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, the chairman expressed uh, how proud we were to be with you when the report was announced, and particularly to be with the TIP report heroes, as they were acknowledged for their incredible work. Uh, the NGO community is critically important to our success in ending uh, modern-day slavery and trafficking. Two of the individuals who we met that day were from Mauritania, I mention that because as they were receiving their awards, nine of their colleagues in Mauritania and the anti-trafficking activists were arrested and their fate is still not known. One of our responsibilities is to make sure that those who are fighting in their country to end slavery, uh, that they receive the support from the international community. So what are we doing in an effort to try to help those that were inappropriately arrested in Mauritania? So, Senator, the State Department is closely following that, those arrests as well and is equally concerned. Um, it, it's really horrible that while they were here getting their awards, members of their organization were arrested. We know that since late June, Mauritanian law enforcement has arrested members of several civil society organizations that are known to organize and protest um, and, and participate in street protests. Um, including the organization that our heroes were from. And as you, as you indicated, we don't know yet the connection uh, between the arrest of those members um, and, and other things that are going on in the country. We are closely following it, and we will continue to see if there is any connection uh, between the receipt of our award um, and those arrests. I will say that another of the trafficking heroes that was here pulled me aside and told me how important it was to receive that award so that her government would understand the importance of this issue and the strength it gave her cause back in her country. So we will continue to honor um, civil actors around the world who fight trafficking. And uh, putting the spotlight on this is critically important. The only way that we're going to keep people safe is by letting them know they're not alone. Mm -hmm. So uh, I very much uh, will do what we can in the Senate to help those that have been inappropriately detained in Mauritania. Let me uh, uh, switch to the issue of labor trafficking for one moment. Of the 21 million victims, estimated about 68% are in, uh, trapped in labor trafficking. 
the amount of resources that are devoted towards labor trafficking is not as uh, great as the percentage of victims. Uh, and there is more, uh, uh, there is concern as to whether we have the right amount of resources devoted to developing the um, uh, capacity internationally to stop uh, labor trafficking. Can you just comment on how the department builds this expertise globally and ensure that more labor cases are identified and prosecuted? Yeah, the department has focused on labor trafficking and it, in fact was the theme of last year's trafficking in persons report and recently unveiled a website called responsiblesourcingtool.org which allows businesses to look at their supply chains and see where they may be susceptible to having forced labor in those supply chains. And that's a tool that can be used around the world for responsible companies to look at what's going on um, in their supply chains. We also continue to encourage and, and um, press governments to focus on labor trafficking. In many countries, those laws lagged behind uh, sex trafficking laws, and so we continue to encourage them to focus their efforts on that. The increased number of labor inspectors we are seeing in various countries, I believe, will help lead to the un uh, un uncovering of more of those crimes and hopefully will be followed by prosecutions and convictions. Uh, and I, I would just appreciate you keeping us informed as to whether there is adequate uh, incentives to develop the global strategies to deal with uh, forced labor. Uh, I've I mentioned several times Senator Corker's leadership in developing a, pu a public-private partnership mechanism so that we can leverage the resources as best that we can. We all know resources are tight, so we need to leverage the best that we can. And uh, if there are things that we can do in a more effective way to uh, develop effective global strategies, uh, please let us know, because there may be ways that we can help some of the NGOs by some of the things we do here uh, so that we have a much stronger coordinated effort. Sex trafficking is deplorable, but it's better understood, I think, globally than labor trafficking. Uh, when I was in Qatar, for example, uh, the economic opportunities in that country are much greater than the surrounding countries. A lot of people look to Qatar as a place where they can work and make more money for their families. Uh, much of that is legitimate, but a good part of that is trafficked and the people are abused. So it's not as simple as to develop a, a, a common strategy where people want to come to a country for economic opportunity but are, could be very easily victimized by illegal traffickers. The more you can get us help as to how we can deal with those types of issues, I think the stronger our response can be to end trafficking and labor. Thank you. I will say on the cutter note, um, because of the efforts of the TIP office and and all of our concern. I, I know they're building seven new stadiums there, and it's fascinating to see all of the construction that's taking place. Uh, I'm sure I sat through the same type of uh, uh, presentation that you did, but I will tell you they, uh, and because questions are raised, they spent 50% of their time while I was there, even though there are many issues we could address on the issue of trafficking, and I do believe that us continuing to herald that makes uh, makes a huge difference. Uh, Senator Rubio, do you want me to go to you, or do you would you are you ready to go? Okay. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, good morning. I um, were the recommendations of the professional staff under your authority followed by the State Department leadership in all cases, or were there specific cases shown last year in which your office's recommendations were overruled by your leadership? 
So the office works closely with the embassies that we have in various countries to gather information. We are not in every country around the world, although we do travel to ones that are of significant concern and that we believe can use encouragement or can use a visit from the Trafficking in Persons Office to, re to focus their efforts on trafficking. But we rely on individuals in the embassies and we rely on our regional uh, counterparts here at the State Department to come together and make consensus recommendations to the Secretary. Um, every year there are a few uh, countries where consensus cannot be reached because there are facts on either side of the minimum standards. We try to gather all the facts and, and answer any unanswered questions and present those recommendations to the Secretary. My office was able to do that this year and had meetings with top leadership. But the question is, were there any specific recommendations that you did arrive at consensus on in which the leadership, the Secretary's office, decided to go in a different direction Anyways, the uh, I'm not going to get into internal deliberations. The secretary receives the consensus recommendations and makes the final determinations on well, the ranking. What do you mean? You're not gonna I'm not asking for the deliberations. I'm asking specifically, were there any cases or any countries in which there was a recommendation of going in one direction, but the secretary's office decided to go in a different direction? You don't have to tell me about the deliberations. I want to know, were there any countries in which you recommended a certain tier, for example, but they decided to go in a different direction and disregard the recommendation. Well, respectfully, Senator, I do believe that gets into the deliberations, because if I answer that question, then you will see part of the process. And part of the process needs to be protected so that all employees at the department feel comfortable making candid assessments and recommendations to leadership. Well, I'm not, again, I'm not asking you who said what. I'm asking whether there was, a, because I, what I don't respectfully understand is, here's a process that's important to the American people where we have staffers and embassies and all kinds of resources put out there. You guys are looking at this, and I'm asking is, was there ever a situation, as we discovered last year, where a specific recommendation was made to go in this direction, but the secretary overruled it and went in a different direction? I think the American people and this Congress and this Senate have a right to know if there are situations in which the staff's recommendation was disregarded. I'm not asking you to tell me who argued for what. I'm not even asking you to tell me which positions. I want to know whether there were any countries whose tier structure or any other decisions in the report are different because the secretary overruled a staff recommendation. And I can tell you that the secretary addressed this concern at the release of the report and said that there were no political or other factors that went into consideration. He also noted That's that- That's not addressing my concern. I, I'm not asking his motivations. We, we'll, we can determine that by asking him that question. We want to know whether there was any nations or any countries in which the determination made by staff ended up being different from what was in the final report as a result of the Secretary's decision. Well, the report and the law is structured to give the Secretary the final decision and to allow him to draw on the experts in my office. We presented our uh, recommendations to him, and it's ultimately the Secretary's call. I understand to. that's his call. I want to know when he made that call and in what specific countries, and you're saying you can't answer that. I'm saying I can't answer that. Okay. If I could intervene without even naming the country, could you state whether there were cases, forget the name of the country, where the secretary made a decision that was different than the staff recommendation? Well, the staff recommendation is both the JTIP office and the regional bureaus, and there were numerous, the vast majority were consensus recommendations to the secretary. So there were some cases where there wasn't consensus and he ruled uh, differently. And that's where the secretary makes the final decision. And, and I understand there are cases where you've got conflicting recommendations from staff and the secretary has to step in and decide which one. I'm asking specifically, were there any countries, you don't even have to tell me the name of the country, yeah. were there any countries in which the staff did have a consensus, but the report 
reflects a different direction from what the consensus of the staff was. You don't even have to tell me the country. You don't even have to tell me which side of it you were on. I just want to know if there was any country, at least one, in this report in which the secretary went in a different direction than a staff consensus. The staff consensus being the regionals and JTIP, all consensus recommendations were followed. Okay. Um, on the, uh, in the minute that I have left, I've been very vocal in expressing my concerns about Cuba's tier ranking. Its upgrade last year appears, in my opinion, to be solely based on political calculations rather than the facts on the ground. What was your office's recommendation for Cuba's tier placement this year? So with respect to Cuba, the report sets out the factors that were evaluated to determine that it could remain on tier two watch list based on its significant efforts. However, tier two watch list means that it did not make improving efforts. I traveled to Cuba in January and met with officials there. I pressed them on the issue of the medical missions and whether uh, individuals serving in their medical missions were allowed to hold uh, travel documents. We are continuing to um, implore the Cuban government to allow the individuals who travel to maintain their own identification documents. But I understand what the what I'm, my question, I understand what the tier setting is ultimately in the report. My question is, is the tier placement that Cuba got on this report reflective of what was recommended to the secretary? I am not going to get into the analysis of any well, particular country because I believe that chills the internal deliberations well, and debate at the well, State Well, then we department. can't conduct oversight if you've got some secret process here in which we can't even know about the deliberations that go on for making these determinations. I mean, I, then what's the point of having oversight hearings on these issues if you're not allowed to testify and tell us what went into the decision-making process? Need, you don't want to leave that hanging, do you? Pardon? <laughs> well, I, I can use a baseball analogy and say I can't hit it out of the park, Senator. Um, but I will say that we, as the State Department, support the report as it is issued. The recommendations were made, and the Secretary adopted the recommendations. In a few cases, he, cases he made the call himself where there were competing interests. Well, I just want the record to reflect, Mr. Chairman, that we, the State Department will not tell us whether the report reflects the recommendation made of the professional staff that spends a lot of time and money traveling to these countries, interviewing people. They're making a recommendation to the Secretary but we're being told that somehow, if that recommendation is different from what the secretary decided, we can't know about it. And Senator Rubio, I just want to correct that characterization of professional staff and experts. We have people in every embassy, in every country, that, in most of the countries we report on, and persons who cover that, uh, those other countries, and they are experts as well. They are in the field. They are working with the governments on trafficking matters every day. They work with NGOs. They monitor media outlets. They talk to civil society. Mm -hmm. So those individuals in the field have expertise in the trafficking area I, I as agree. well. I agree, and I concluded those in the experts when I talked about experts. So let me rephrase what I said. I guess what we're being told, is, Mr. Chairman, is we're not allowed to know if the folks in the embassy, the folks that we send out abroad, all of the people involved in analyzing these countries and understanding what's happening there, if they make a recommendation, but the secretary refuses to move forward on that recommendation and goes in a different direction, we're not allowed to know if that happened. But Senator, I already answered that all consensus recommendations were followed by the secretary. Right. So then why can't you answer the question of whether or not the, re the report reflects the recommendation made to the secretary on Cuba's tiering? Because I don't want to get into any one particular country and chill deliberations or the ability of the experts to discuss among themselves the very important trafficking indicators in the countries. Okay. Sounds a little bit like the Federal Reserve, but uh, Senator Menendez, thank you. 
Well, okay, you can't hit a home run, but how about singles and doubles? Uh, let's, let's, let me ask you the following. Uh, one of the criteria in determining whether a country is making, quote, serious and sustained efforts to eliminate trafficking is, quote, whether the government of the country achieves appreciable progress in eliminating severe forms of trafficking when compared to the assessment in the previous year. Now, as you know, both the narratives from Malaysia and Cuba state that the countries, quote, did not demonstrate overall increasing anti-trafficking efforts compared to the previous reporting period. So how then is keeping them on the tier two watch list consistent with this criterion? The criteria also says and examines whether countries are making significant efforts. And with respect to Cuba and Malaysia, those efforts are outlined in the report. With respect to Cuba, they are engaging in cooperation not only with U.S. law enforcement officials, but with law enforcement officials in the region so the effort, to look at trafficking. So the effort supersedes the provisions of the law that say that appreciable progress in eliminating severe forms of trafficking and did not demonstrate overall increasing trafficking efforts. That is supersede, that's the effort supersedes that? No, it doesn't supersede. It's one well, of how the- is it that, How is it that it's consistent then? It's one of the minimum standards in the law. There are the four standards we look at. The fourth one has 12 indicia. We look at all of those standards and then in making a determination between tier two, tier two watch list, and tier three, we look at the additional factors that Let are- Let me ask you this. Yes, uh, sir. Several countries in this year's report received a waiver to enable them to stay on tier two watch lists. One of the requirements for receiving that waiver is that the country must have a written plan to begin making significant efforts to bring itself into compliance with the minimum standards. Did all the countries that were granted waivers submit a written plan? Uh, yes, they did, Senator, pursuant to the requirements. They did present written plans, okay. national action plans, and other types to receive the waiver. Now, is there any reason why the State Department does not make those plans public or available uh, to Congress? Well, those plans are something that the government submits to the State Department. They're not State Department documents. They belong to the foreign governments. So it is my understanding that they are not provided. But if they are submitted to you in pursuance of the law in order to get a waiver, shouldn't we be able to see what it is that they uh, offered to you to understand whether or not uh, they have met the standards of the waiver? It's my understanding that those plans are not produced, that the experts at the State Department and lawyers at the State Department look at them to make sure they qualify for the waiver. This is, this is another area, Mr. Chairman, that, that needs reform. Let me ask you this. Is criminalization of forced labor a requirement to meet the minimum standards of the law? Um, the minimum standards certainly look at the law in every country to see whether it, they appropriately criminalize sex trafficking and labor trafficking. That would be one of the key minimum standards that would be evaluated. Uh-huh one of the key, but if in fact criminalization of forced labor, uh, it's not an absolute requirement to meet the minimum standards? It would be a requirement um, under the standards as they exist that they have adequate laws to address both sex and labor trafficking. Well, the I report am aware that some countries don't have laws that are consistent with the Palermo Protocol, and that's one of the major recommendations for countries is to bring their laws into conformity with international well, standards. Well, criminalization of forced labor is a requirement, a minimum requirement to meet the law, which is my understanding of your answer. Yes. The report confirms that Cuba does not criminalize forced labor, does not report efforts to prevent it, and does not even recognize forced labor as a problem. So how is placing Cuba on the tier two watch list consistent with the minimum standards you just said since the Cuban government is not making any effort to address it much less 
uh, recognize forced labor. But Tier 2 watch list itself indicates that they do not comply with the minimum standards, and that's certainly one of the recommendations for Cuba, is that they focus more on forced labor and bring their law into conformity with the Palermo Protocol. So you cannot meet the minimum standards and still be qualified for Tier 2? Tier 2 watch list in this case, and there are other factors that are looked at, including the efforts made against sex trafficking in the country and the other laws, victim protection services, and prevention efforts. Well, here, All of those go into the evaluation. Listen, uh, Ambassador, I, I appreciate your work, and my view here is to strengthen the TIPS office's hand, because I think that hand has been weakened. And I think there needs to be a clearer categorization of what is uh, sufficient, what is ultimately uh, a minimum, because it seems that we have, uh, you know, a three-card uh, three Monty game here, in which the shell keeps getting moved around. Well, when it's appropriate or when we want it, it this is a minimum standard. But when it's not, this is not a minimum standard. I, I just think it is so uh, uh, vacuous in terms of understanding what is the standards that they seem to vary depending upon the country. And I think when that happens, we create a problem, Mr. Chairman, that doesn't make a clear and unequivocal goal of what the United States is seeking countries to do. And for those of us who have to vote on trade issues, for those of us who have to vote on aid issues and others, to understand and think that this is a critical element, as the chairman has, because of his uh, passion uh, on the issue of uh, human slavery, uh, that that's very difficult to do if you can't have a standard that's pretty clear-cut across the board. And so uh, I think that these are problems with the way in which we do this, and I think it needs uh, a clearer set of standards so that when country X meets minimum standards as set under the law, we know it met minimum standards, but that it's not uh, you know, able to be changed as it may need for the purposes of a specific country and a whole host of other reasons. So I, uh, I appreciate your work, but I, I, I think that there's need for reform here, including just simple information that doesn't get to the basis of freezing deliberations, but does get to the basis at least of how conclusions were arrived. So anyhow, I thank the Chair. So I, I agree, and I think Senator Cardin is going to speak to that. So I won't. I will uh, say that uh, you know, Ms. Coppage, you know, we, you know we're thrilled that you're there and we think you're a real champion of this issue, but with what Senator Menendez just brought up, uh, you know, we, I, I notice in the back we have representatives from IJM. And I think what we've seen around the world is when people, when there's a price to pay for trafficking, it goes down hugely. And when, in, when enforcement takes place, when their police officers are willing to take it on and prosecutors are willing to take it on, um, it drops hugely. For a country like Cuba, they don't even have the basic law in place to criminalize trafficking. I don't know how they could be anything but tier three. I, I'm sorry. So I know that that maybe, maybe what we need to do is change the law. Change the law so that if a country like Cuba that doesn't even have laws to criminalize trafficking can be on tier two watch. That, that seems to me to be very inappropriate, and I'm very glad you brought it up, and, and I think there are some reforms. I know that Senator Cardin whispered in my ear and wants to talk a little bit about the whole process issue. Um, the Federal Reserve, obviously, we, we don't want to be involved in monetary decisions unduly, 
Uh, there's a process that is in place about their deliberations, and, and we don't want to politicize the TIP report, but I know he wants to speak to that, and I'll let him do so. Senator Corker, if I may respond briefly to the comment about the standards and whether reform is needed. The minimum standards are somewhat flexible because facts and countries are different depending on the situation and circumstances there. And that flexibility is something that allows um, individuals who are evaluating trafficking to see where there is progress and where there has been no progress with respect to certain types of trafficking. And I think it's important to have that flexibility and to have the law because it is clearly understood by foreign governments now where our recommendations come from. And we set out clearly when laws fall short of the international standard. And I, even though uh, Cuba does not have uh, forced labor uh, prosecutions and convictions, they are making progress with respect to sex trafficking. And they do engage in law enforcement training and technical assistance to get better in that area. And as you indicated, that, that increasing the ability for police and prosecutors to do their jobs and making trafficking have a price is very important. And that's why during the course of the year, we're not only evaluating what countries are doing, we are providing money to NGOs and to local organiz international organizations such as IOM to go in and conduct trainings on what trafficking looks like, how to find it, how to uncover it, how to successfully prosecute it. Funds that we have provided um, to SADC in South Africa have been used to hire experts to testify in trials so that traffickers are convicted. So rule of law is a very important component. As Senator Menendez pointed out, it is part of the minimum standards, and it is certainly something that we evaluate when looking at the countries. But, but just if I could, and I was going to turn it over to Senator Cardin, but if you're not prosecuting people for trafficking in Cuba, if there's no price to pay, if they can continue with impunity, how are they taking steps to stop trafficking? I don't disconnect there. Because there are different types of trafficking going on, and they are taking significant efforts with respect to sex trafficking, and they are taking... Are they prosecuting people for sex trafficking? Yes, and those numbers are recounted in the report. And they are taking victim protection efforts across all forms of trafficking. And we are continuing to exhort the government to look at any indicators for forced labor, as I mentioned, with respect to the medical missions. Mr. Chairman, would you yield just for a comment? Sure. The, that answer by the ambassador suggests that, okay, sex trafficking, you realize it, and of course we abhor it, and we appreciate any country that is willing to make significant efforts. But when you, when you don't even recognize forced labor, it's almost like, okay, you don't have to recognize forced labor, but you can still be on the tier two watch list. So that's, it just seems to me that it begins to categorize within the whole phalanx of what we want in terms of the TIP report to say that certain things are greater than others when all of it is abhorrent, and allowing them to be on tier two without even them recognizing, much less doing anything about it, that forced labor is part of it is, is a problem. Is that a fair assessment where forced labor, on the other hand, there are not uh, convictions or prosecutions relative to forced labor in Cuba? There have not been any forced labor convictions or, or prosecutions um, in Cuba. Is and this forced is labor prevalent in Cuba? 
It's hard to determine. Um, forced labor is, again, even uh, part of the trafficking problem is that it's a hidden crime. And we are looking at indicators for forced labor around the world. And some of the indicators are not being able to leave a job and not being able to hold your own travel documents. And so we talk about the indicators that are present in Cuba, and we ask the government to continue to increase its efforts in that area. But it's not just Cuba. It's other countries as well that are on Tier 2 watch lists that need to do more with respect to forced labor. We have recommendations in the report for many Gulf countries to reform their labor systems, to also look at making more criminal prosecutions for forced labor. Similar to what happened in the U.S., uh, forced labor tends to lag behind the sex trafficking prosecutions. They are equally important, but they are both looked at under the auspices of the report, and they both need to be addressed by governments before they move up the tier ranking system. Mr. Mr. Chairman, I'd be happy to introduce you to some people who finally made it to freedom who were uh, victims of forced labor inside of Cuba, and so you can have living testimony to it. Mr. Chairman, if I could just interject before Senator Kane, if he would. Um, the report's pretty clear about that. I mean, I, the, and I just call the attention to the tip report, particularly page 64, which tells you how to read a country narrative, because I think a country narrative is critically important. We all f focus a lot on the tier, uh, tier ratings, which, as we should, but the narrative I find very instructive, and in Cuba's case, it's very clear that they don't even acknowledge uh, the forced labor issues, which is a clear problem in Cuba. And there's no question in my mind that last year's upgrade of both Cuba and Malaysia should not have been done based upon the, the facts of the two countries. And I find it hard to understand why they're not tier three in this year's report. So I, I just want to uh, concur with my colleagues in regards to those two countries. Uh, the facts as reflected in the narrative report, which I think is very important. Look, what you do in this report is very important. What you do in technical assistance in helping countries, very, very important. Uh, the narratives are, I use these. Every country I visit or people come to my, uh, come to my office, I, I have your report in front of me. And I go over these, this, the specifics um, in addition to the rating. But the rating is important because it has consequences, and that's why we spend so much time. I, I wanted to respond to the exchange that have taken place because I'm somewhat conflicted. Uh, first, let me just ask you, 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 you evaluate somewhere around 190 countries. Can you just tell me, uh, just in broad numbers, where uh, the number of countries where you do not have a, a consensus recommendation, how many uh, countries generally are submitted to the secretary for the secretary's determination. Um, Senator Cardin, that would vary from year to year. And again, this starts down that path of looking at the internal deliberations. But are we talking about a few? Or are we talking about? It's a handful. Handful, OK. So, so there are not that many. I, I, I'm somewhat conflicted as to whether it's important for us to know those countries. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm sensitive to the points that you raise. But the secretary takes responsibility for making those decisions, actually takes responsibility for every decision. It's his, it's his final call. And the secretary is, is very clear that those decisions are made based upon the facts and the, the law, et cetera. So the secretary is taking responsibility. I don't know whether it is chilling to the debate if the secretary, we know the countries in which there is a close call or there's options, maybe a better way of saying it. So I'm not sure I agree that that is necessary for the open and deliberation within the department. So uh, I, I, 
I would like to have more discussion with you. Maybe some of that discussion should be in a closed session. But it seems to me that where there is a close call, particularly in sensitive countries, that Congress does have an oversight function that is hard for us to carry out without knowing that that country reached that type of deliberative process. And the reason, of course, because the tip office and the missions do have slightly different contexts in which they're operating in the regional offices are working slightly different contexts here. So it's not necessarily the exact same standards that are being used in reaching consensus or allowing options to the secretary. And I will just point out, too, that the secretary indicated at the release that there are some tough calls in the report. But in the end, they come down to an element of discretion, but not much, he said, because there's the fixed set of rules that Congress created, and we follow those rules at the State Department. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I, I think there may, should be a way, Senator Cardin, for us to, uh, them to have to certify that these were made in agreement, or if there are exceptions where the Secretary goes against uh, the recommendations made that in a private setting he asserts to us uh, why those decisions were being made. And I think that would be somewhat helpful uh, in, number one, assuring us that there aren't political consider considerations that we're pretty sure took place last year. Pretty sure took place last year. Um, and uh, maybe would keep political considerations from necessarily uh, weighing in in the future. But with that, Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks for this hearing, Ambassador Coppage. Um, I want to ask about the Northern Triangle. Um, the chair and ranking have done a good job of taking the, the $750 million investment that we made in Central America in last year's budget and kind of putting it under a microscope here in the committee where we've said, you know, using Plan Columbia as an example of an investment in the region that panned out over time, what would we hope to see with the $750 million investment from last year in El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala? And we had a, a specific hearing about that, kind of talking about metrics. Um, there's a, a similar request from the administration for budgetary support this year. I'm strongly supportive of it, but I want to make sure that we are uh, allocating those dollars the right way to get the biggest bang for the buck. These three countries are all countries that have some significant human trafficking challenges. They're all tier two. I don't think they're tier two watch list. I don't think they changed in status uh, in the uh, reporting this year. But obviously, the unaccompanied minor challenge remains a very consistent one and a persistent one. And there are uh, human trafficking uh, challenges in each of these countries. Talk a little bit about what, what progress you're seeing in the region and the way we, in exercising oversight, uh, over this specific investment in those countries can make sure that those dollars are used to uh, improve the situation with respect to human trafficking. Thank you, Senator. It is, it is a great concern, the migration of, of unaccompanied children um, from those countries up through Mexico and into the U.S. And part of the funding we have used um, has been targeted at focusing on protecting those most vulnerable, those children in those countries. I know we have uh, two NGOs in the countries that are working on issues to uh, assist children and keep them stable, get them out of harm's way in their country so they don't feel compelled to flee. Uh, those programs are worked on. We can give you more specifics by um, NGOs in those countries that are funded through State Department efforts. And we appreciate all the funding that Congress gives us to engage in those anti-trafficking efforts year-round. Do you have a sense here today, just kind of from a narrative standpoint, of 
how, how seriously the three governments, and they're, and they're different governments. The Guatemalan government is new president. The Honduran president has been there for a while. The El Salvadoran situation is very different. Do you have a sense for how um, determined they are to tackle these problems? Well, we continue to ask them to focus on rule of law in their countries mm -hmm. because that destabilization yeah. certainly contributes to um, that particular migration crisis. And our ambassadors in country are, are continually engaging on these issues there. I would just again say to the chair, you, you and the ranking member have done a good job. I, th I think the $750 million investment is kind of like a little test case that, you know, it's a, it's a big investment, but it's not so vast and the countries aren't so vast as to make it hard to track. We really ought to be tracking how the monies are used and whether we're seeing movements in some of the metrics, whether it's the number of children who are coming here or how the countries do on these annual reports, whether it's a measure of human rights and the human rights report, measuring human trafficking. You know, I think, I think we can learn something from the way these investments are used to try to make the way we invest money more effective, and I think the human trafficking report that's annual is a good metric that we ought to use in analyzing. Well, you that made that suggestion, I think, uh, four months ago in a hearing, and you're going to see, as a committee, us doing exactly that. I appreciate the suggestion. I think it's a good one. Great. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thanks, Ambassador Thank you, Couch. Senator. Senator Coons. Thank you, Chairman Corker and uh, Ranking Member Cardin. I just want to start uh, by expressing my deep appreciation to you uh, and to Senator Cardin, both of you have been persistent and engaged and effective advocates uh, in the work to end human slavery, uh, in the work to ensure that we combat uh, labor trafficking and human trafficking in, in all its forms. Uh, it makes me proud uh, to be able to play some small supportive role uh, as the two of you have worked in a genuinely bipartisan way with the administration on something that speaks to our most fundamental values as Americans, uh, which is making sure that uh, people are not living in slavery in the modern world. Uh, this is something that uh, at a time when our Senate is sadly uh, divided over many other important issues, uh, there really is genuine bipartisanship about. Uh, and I want to thank you, Ambassador, for the work that you've done uh, in this extremely difficult field, uh, in this field where uh, so many countries continue uh, to support or to tolerate or to look the other way uh, at practices that I think your average American would believe um, were done away with uh, decades or even centuries ago. So. Um, for all that it is a difficult, unpleasant work uh, to look straight in the eye at some of the worst treatment of human beings by other human beings, I'm grateful for the work that you do. Uh, in a recent trip uh, to uh, Southern Africa with Senator Cardin, uh, I will confirm that in every single head of state meeting, uh, he raised their ranking uh, on the TIP report. Uh, he pressed uh, the presidents uh, really quite aggressively, and we had a number of very constructive conversations. Uh, nothing is more uh, interesting than watching a head of state uh, be surprised in front of their cabinet uh, by uh, a senator's uh, persistent questioning and then see the fallout uh, as, as that moves forward. Um, we had some interesting and vigorous conversations on that trip about uh, what other areas um, we might uh, follow the approach of the trafficking in persons report. Um, what other areas where we have concerns about countries around the world and about um, how they are acting, uh, whether it's uh, press freedom uh, or it's wildlife trafficking. Uh, there's dozens of areas that could be suggested. Uh, and I'll tell you, frankly, the response from some mid-level um, FSOs to the idea uh, was that we in Congress uh, sure better provide the additional resources uh, for all the staffing required uh, to compile the reports, uh, to uh, make sure that they're correct, and to you know work through those issues. So please, if you would, speak to me first about 
the compliance burden and how much work our um, State Department staff around the world have to do to ensure that this global annual report um, is thoroughly vetted and appropriately reported. Um, and second, do you think there are other areas that would be amenable to this approach, either in a comparably thorough way or in a lighter footprint way, um, that would begin to create a global um, transparency accounting for the behavior of countries around the world on something as foundational as ending slavery and human trafficking? Senator Coons, I certainly want to thank you and, and the other senators when, when you travel for raising these issues. Mm -hmm. It is so important that they hear from our elect elected officials in the legislature because they know that's where the money comes from. Um, and so it's very important that you raise this issue and, and Senator Cardin and continue to do that. And I think it does bring about change in those countries when elected officials can speak to other senior elected officials. So thank you. I will say that the TIP report is a lot of work. Um, we have in our office approximately 50 staff who work on uh, various aspects of the report throughout the year. We have, I'm not sure how many embassies around the world that have staff dedicated to working on trafficking issues as part of their portfolio. So I can imagine that when you suggested more work to these foreign service officers, they did indicate they would need more resources because it is very time consuming. Our staff at embassies around the world engage with elected officials in the countries they're posted in. They engage with non-governmental organizations there and with citizens. They work on trafficking matters year-round. It's certainly um, the attention and focus increases during the report writing. But even when we're not writing and producing the report, we're out trying to gather facts on this hidden crime. And it is very hard to uncover what's going on in the trafficking arena. It's why it's so important that we have NGOs in the countries that share information with us as well, because it's not just the government that we're relying on. So any additional areas where reports would be of, of interest would require a great deal of resources and time. Can you tell me where you've seen um, the biggest changes that surprise you, that encourage you in terms of countries that have really changed their practices in response to being downgraded or upgraded, um, where if I were to make the argument to the citizens of Delaware that this investment of time and resources really is worth it, um, what would you point to in terms of the most encouraging and where do you think we've seen the most recalcitrance on the part of a government that is just simply refusing uh, to get the message that year after year being on the tier three or being downgraded uh, is meant to convey to them um, genuine concern by the United States and frankly the world community. So I think one of the greatest benefits of the Trafficking in Persons Report is it sets out in the opening narrative what the situation is on the ground in each country. And from, from my personal experience in Georgia, Georgia citizens found it very hard to believe that trafficking was going on in their communities. It's such a horrible crime. Why don't we see it? Why don't we stop it? And by setting out a roadmap of what trafficking looks like in every country, then citizens can advocate uh, to their governments to do something about it. It gives them the tools to say, this is a problem, you know, it, is, it does exist, here's this report that documents it. Now let's enact laws, let's fund law enforcement investigative units, let's bring, bring prosecutors and judges on board who know about this crime and can handle it. Let's provide services to victims. So I think that all of these things the TIP report has done, basically shining a light on this crime that, that occurs in darkness and letting people know it exists. Because I believe that once citizens and their elected officials know about this issue, that they will want to do right by the individuals in their country because it is such a serious crime against people, against humanity. And so I think it's very important to be accurate and, and forthright in the report so that governments can take actions. 
Um, unfortunately, there are some countries that do not care about the rankings and that do not care about the state of their citizens. We will continue to report on them and call attention to the matters in those countries. Great. Well, thank you, Ambassador. Thank you for your work. And I'd like to again thank uh, the Chairman and Ranking for your really a diligent, persistent, and engaged bipartisan work on this issue. Well, Madam Ambassador, we thank you for being here. Um, I think you, again, understand the tremendous respect you have by all members here. At the same time, I think you understand the passion that people have relative to this issue and ensuring that the process itself is full of integrity, but beyond the pr process, there are results uh, that keep people uh, today where more than 27 million people live in slavery more than at any time in the world's history, um, that there are results that cause that to diminish. And I hope we're going to be a part of an effort with you involved to, to end modern slavery very, very soon. But we thank you for being here. Um, thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your passion. And with that, uh, uh, without objection, the record will remain open until the close of business Thursday. There will be numbers of questions, I'm sure, from people. If you would semi-promptly uh, respond to those, we'd appreciate it. And with that, uh, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you.